I'm here with Aline Sims. Aline, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Jay? I'm doing really good. So Aline is someone that I have known for a couple of years, and I am really excited to talk to only because she's awesome. <laughs> and oh. also, I, I would also say that she is doing a couple of things that I am really happy to hear about, and I am ever so interested in learning more about. Uh, so I am going to let Aline introduce herself because there's just so much going on in her life. So Aline, <laughs> please uh, let everybody know what you're up to. Uh, you know, this changes so much that sometimes I don't know where to start. Well, um, I am co-executive director for App Camp for Girls, which is a nonprofit dedicated to showing um, girls and gender non-conforming kids that careers in the tech industry are for them if they're at all interested. I have a business. It's called App Launch Map, and I help indie iOS and Mac developers with kind of the non-code side of launching their apps. I have a podcast. It's called Originality. We haven't posted an episode in a while, but we're working on building a buffer so that we don't have uh, big gaps like we have had. Um, uh, I've had a lot of life changes over the last year, and that's kind of put a damper on podcast recording schedules. Uh, so we're working on that. And then I do things on um, podcasts on the Incomparable Network. I uh, play on Total Party Kill often. Um, I'm on the game show every once in a while, and I'm on the main show from time to time. And then some um, occasional guest appearances on other shows on Relay FM. So the first thing that you mentioned was app camp for girls and uh, listeners, longtime listeners of the podcast know that I am a huge advocate for uh, tech diversity and I really love representing let's have diversity in tech, not just with my guests, but with the awesome things that my guests are up to. And we recently had Myra Benjamin, the director of engineering for Pandora and the founder for Tech Intersections on the podcast. And she was working um, with their conference to help build women of color um, in tech in the Oakland area. Um, explain some of the progression that you've seen with App Camp for Girls. Um, I know that you've been working with them for a few years now, and this is your first year as a co-director, correct? Yeah, um, I started volunteering with AppCamp in 2015, uh, and you can actually hear my old, um, now retired podcast called Less Than or Equal. I did a, a show with Jean McDonald, who is the founder, uh, co-founder of AppCamp for Girls, and that's actually the genesis of um, my, or the beginning of my role with App Camp was literally that podcast. Um, so if you're at all interested, that's an episode of, of a now gone, um, but still archived show you can listen to. Um, and so I volunteered at, uh, at a camp in Portland in 2015. And then I organized camp in Phoenix, um, where I lived for two years. And then I moved to Seattle. And so I'm not organizing camp now. Um, but I organized camp in 2016 and 2017. And then late in late last year, late 2018, the board of directors approached me and my co-director and said, um, hey, any interest in taking over 
um, in this role. And she and I were both like, yeah, we could do that. And so now that's that's where we are. So you mentioned Jean McDonald. She is currently the podcast on another productivity show, The Weekly Review, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you done your weekly review yet? I don't. I am not a getting things done person. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Nope. Um, I, I could sing their theme song. I won't, oh, yeah. but I could. Oh, that uh, that theme song is is awesome. I might yeah. I might have to uh, get their permission to uh, throw it in really quick as a little snippet, uh, <laughs> yeah. only because I love I love what they're doing with normalizing the idea and kind of serving as that little bit of accountability. Um, but we're not talking to them. We'll talk to them some other time. <laughs> we're talking about you. There would so, be great guests. You mentioned moving to Seattle, and then mm-hmm. on top of that, taking over this co-director role first of all I'm jealous because you made it to Seattle before I did because we were we were both I I think when you decided that you were moving to Seattle I was going up there for vacation and it was really a recon mission trying to convince my wife that we should move up there but she didn't take the bait Um, she loves it up there and we want to visit we'll probably we'll visit it sometime again this year but uh, she hasn't quite made peace with the rain yet um it's not I so okay. I know I'm interrupting. I'm sorry, but I've been here 10 months now and maybe this year has been anomalous, but I was prepared for a lot more cloudy days than we've had. It's a lot sunnier than I thought it would be. So, so I don't know if that's just my expectations or what, but When you say you prepared, like how were you worried just about how the weather would affect your your mood, your productivity, or yes, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard that's a problem in that area. That I, I guess people have. Uh, what are they? The uh, the vitamin D lights, the sad lights. Yeah. <laughs> so how has how has that shift? Because you went from like a, you were in Arizona, right? I was in Phoenix. Yeah. So you went from like a thousand degrees to like. <laughs> As close to Canada as you can get. <laughs> what was that like? Um, it actually hasn't been as painful a transition as I thought it would be. Um, I, it, it, I think it helps because we came at the end of April. And so it was just shifting out of the rainy season into summer. And so I had... there. Summer was pretty sunny. I had a lot of a lot of sunshine and you know a lot of moving to do. So there's a lot to not be concerned about. The other thing is that uh, you know Phoenix air conditioning is a necessity. Everybody, pretty much everybody, has air conditioning. Uh, we definitely had air conditioning and it ran a lot. And moving here, there is no air conditioning. Uh, very few, like our apartment is pretty progressive in that there is like a round hole in the side of the apartment that um it's just got a plastic cover on it and if you want to bring in a portable air conditioner that is the vent for it and so you know it was hot in our apartment we actually ended up renting uh an air conditioner all summer because it was just like it's so well in our apartment is so well insulated that we literally we couldn't get it below 80 degrees in here it was ridiculous and so the transition actually hasn't been incredibly difficult I think just because the timing of our move really helped me ease into 
you know the the different weather and that kind of stuff because it was it was really sunny when we first got here that is that is so optimistically hopeful for me because <laughs> i need i need more ammo to convince her we will move to seattle eventually uh it'll happen so now that you're settled in microsoft country has your has your way of using tech changed at all I'm actually more in Amazon country than Microsoft country. The all I'm um, in like pretty close to downtown, and Microsoft is further east, yeah. mostly. Um, so, but Amazon really took over downtown. But no, I I have a bigger monitor now. I have a smaller desk, and um, my tech is pretty much the same. I mean, I have upgraded some things, but uh, I'm. You know, I, I keep it pretty minimal, actually, when it comes to the kinds of apps that I use, um, what my mer- workflows look like, and that kind of thing. So not a whole lot has changed for me in that regard. I think that's good, though, um, especially as you're going through like a season of change, you know, with with new roles and, you know, you, you've been doing originality for a year and some change now. And and. All of these things that are like some things new, some things old. I think the idea of keeping it as simple as possible helps with some of those transitions, right? I think so. Uh, yeah, because I haven't had to. There aren't a lot of you know new technologies that I've had to learn uh, for AppCamp. We're switching things over to Notion from Google Docs as much as we can. Um, but you know, I haven't, I haven't really started using any new apps and services. And part of that is because I feel like, um, as another person with ADHD, I can really go into rabbit holes when it comes to trying out apps. And instead of actually getting things done, it's just like a lean evaluating apps and that doesn't actually pay any bills. Um, so, but it could though. I'm not going to give you any more projects. I feel feel like there are people who kind of have that market cornered. We've got, you know, like Mac stories and Mac power users and, you know, automators and supercomputer. And, you know, the people who love to do that stuff are doing that stuff. And then I can, you know, if I, if I have a relationship with those people, I can just be like, so what should I use to do this thing? Because I really don't enjoy that search. There was a point in my life where I really liked evaluating things and figuring out how minutely different um, different apps affected my workflows and, and what I was doing. And I'm just not there anymore. I just want to I just want to do stuff. So maybe that'll change again, but I don't know. You know, I was just talking to someone earlier today about this where I've been doing this productivity thing for like six years now. And I remember when I first started, it was, I'm going to review all the apps. I'm going to learn about all this stuff. And as I've grown, I guess, in productivity, it has been less and less about which tools you're using and more about the mindset behind using them that has, I guess, kept me going uh, for the most part. Yeah, I I agree with that because... I guess there just comes a point where you're where I use that that search as a procrastination tool and I I don't need more procrastination tools in my life I just (laughs) need to fall back on what's what works for me 
Definitely. And, and speaking of, of doing things that aren't necessarily the, the cornerstone of, of what you're doing, you know, with, with your other business, which I always mess up the naming. <laughs> so if I get it wrong, I am sorry, but I'm going to try to say app launch map, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so with app launch map, you are helping developers with the non-tech stuff. The, what does the that look like? The non-code stuff. It's I, I do a lot of technical stuff. I'll, I help with you know like user interface. I help with user interface um, and user experience workflows. I help with you know like the copy the the actual text in the apps. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I do um, putting the App Store product page together, advising on website um, stuff like web content, uh, everything from copy to images to layout to you have a lot of white space here, you need more white space there. Um, So I do a lot of stuff. I'm just not generally sitting down in, you know, with Xcode and Objective-C or Swift editing things. Occasionally, you know, I'll, a a client will give me source code and I'll go through and edit strings, um, you know, to, to impact the text in the app. But I don't even really do that a whole lot. Typically, I'm just feeding them lines that they can copy and paste in. As a web developer, I've learned that a lot of the code that I write nowadays is, "Hey, let's change this text." <laughs> so, yeah, um, where where in the process do you see kind of the most, I guess, issues that app developers run into? It really depends upon the developer. Um, it's such a complicated process that that it's easy to not know crucial steps if that makes sense because it's not just about i mean if you think about the the app development cycle or what an app development cycle can look like it's something like funnily enough this is something we teach at app camp but it's something like you see a problem that needs to be solved or a a need that needs a solution um, you figure out how an app can help solve that problem or fill that need. You then have to, you know, sketch out UI, um, decide what, what everything looks like. Then ideally you're doing like usability testing with prototypes and then you, you know, you iterate on that and then you actually get into the code and you start building things with code and then you do user testing and iterate on that. And I mean, that's, you know, that's bigger budget typically people doing like paper prototypes, but you know, there, there are a lot of steps to the process in just creating the app, let alone the steps that you need to take to actually let people know that your app exists and to present it in a way that is, um, enticing and informative and they're just so they're like A to Z is such a big leap in this space do you feel like the work that you do as a podcaster and having had several podcasts at this point has helped with kind of that marketing side or, or at least being able to 
not do like I'm doing right now and and effectively communicate uh, what the app developer is trying to accomplish with the app? I think so. Also, a thing to remember is I have a degree in technical writing. That's what my bachelor's degree is in. So I've been steeped in kind of this communication thing since college. And I mean, even before English was definitely my jam in, you know, middle school and high school. Um, And so that's all all helped. Communication is always hard. Uh, um, Marketing communication is is also hard because you don't know what will resonate with people and what won't. If you think about like large companies with big marketing budgets who can do uh, testing, like A-B testing, they can send stuff to one group of people and different stuff to another group of people and see where they get more clicks or what gets talked about on social media more or whatever, you still see a lot of marketing misses with huge companies. And so I think that's a that's a takeaway for everybody is that it's it's an evolving process. It's not like you write your app description for your product page one time and that's it forever. Hopefully what will happen is that you'll be able to release, um, you'll be able to iterate on your app and you'll release new versions of it and then you'll have new features that you want to call out and you'll have hopefully, you know, press writing about about it and you'll want to do pull quotes or whatever. So it's it's an evolving process always. It's it's living and breathing, just like the app is always changing. So as as someone who is also trying to help the the little person, not well, not the little people. I don't, I don't know how to word this. Um, as someone trying to help independent developers mm-hmm. um, remain independent and show them that there are effective resources available to them. It, why why have you decided to go down the road of I am going to create my own company that helps developers do this versus working for, you know, you mentioned these major companies that have PR problems and have hard, a hard time effectively communicating to their audience. Why did you choose to help the independent developer versus jumping into one of these bigger companies? Uh, there are a lot of reasons. On a personal level, I just like being independent. I, I, I don't want to go into an office every day. I don't want to, um, be accountable to the same boss all of the time. That's not to say I'm not accountable to people, but I just, I, that's not something that I relish. Um, and so that that's a big part of it is when I left my last job so that I could focus on bringing App Camp to Phoenix, uh, I was putting my resume together and it was like, oh, where am I going to apply? Who would I want to work for? And I didn't really come up with any answers. And so I was like, okay, so what do I know? What knowledge do I have that I can impart on others? Or how can I work with other people to help them? in whatever it is they're doing. And this is really, quite frankly, I'm one of a small handful of people probably in the world who has the depth of knowledge that I do about this specific thing. So it seemed to make sense to kind of enter into this arena and see if I could make it work. And you're not just doing it for today's developers, you're doing it for the next generation of developers too with App Camp for Girls. 
Yeah, kind of. I mean, the things that I do, we don't typically talk a whole lot about at camp. You know, we're not... Um, because we have five days and we go from product um, and app inception, like come up with an idea within a framework that we have. Um, So typically they've been quiz apps. So um, write this quiz app that fits within our framework because there's only so much that we can teach in five days. And, um, and then they go through and they create their artwork. They create their, um, their content, you know, from not quite the ground up, but almost the ground up. And so there are opportunities for us to talk about, you know, like uh, usability testing and contrast um, and, when you might want to use a, a larger font versus maybe a smaller font and why it's not a, a good idea to have a red text on a green background and all of these things we can incorporate into things, but we never go into, okay, and now it's time to create your website and now it's time to think about what goes on your product page and have you really considered what your screenshots need to be? So those are the things that I do in my own a business that we don't really cover with app camp just because there isn't time and and I, I think that's something that the I guess the ever going app um, I guess economy problem shows that I, I think a lot of consumers see oh you made this app but they don't quite have a perspective of how much time that it does take to make a fully fleshed out app that is, you know, going to be responsive to users, that's going to have a good user experience and an a understandable user interface. Uh, and have you ran into issues where developers want to take their apps to the next level, but just usually due to poor market reception they haven't been able to i guess afford services like that um yeah so so being an independent app developer is not lucrative for most for most people um there i i personally know you know a few people who their full-time jobs are writing their apps there aren't a lot of people like that though. And so that's one of my challenges in my business is a lot of independent app developers can't afford to work with me on a contract basis because, you know, they're, they're doing the app because it's something they really wanted to see in the world, but they're not making thousands of dollars a month on it. They might make a couple of hundred dollars a month. Um, they might make enough to cover, you know, like an AWS bill if they have a server side server side component. So, it really um, it, it it is a challenge, and it's actually it's something that I'm working on addressing, um, so that if I can't work with you directly, either because of scheduling conflicts or ideological differences or whatever, here's here's something that you can buy from me that will help you in this process. And it won't be, this is me talking myself up, but it won't be the same as working with me because I am like, I am an expert in what I do, um, but it'll still help you elevate what you have. You know, that's something that uh, a friend of ours, I guess a mutual friend, uh, Kathy Campbell, mm-hmm. um, the the business unicorn, uh, she 
has helped me so much in just being around. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, I, I feel bad because as much as I want to be a client for her and I've sat down and had a consultation with her. And, I have too. And it is, it is one of those things where like you see the value in a product like that. And and this is something that as, as a productivity coach, that's something that I suffer from because all of my competitors charge three times what I charge. And, but I'm here to help the independent developer and mm-hmm. they still can't afford my rates and working with her and just seeing how she's doing things and seeing how other people in the community are doing things that really helps me to try to create, I guess, my own little position in the market to help out developers in any way that I can. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I, I love having, you know, people like you and like Kathy, who's supposed to be on the show at some point. She'll be <laughs> um, amazing. I love Kathy. Absolutely. But having people like that and people like you on the show it helps because in a way I'm cheating the system, I guess, because I should be paying you for all of this wisdom, but then I'm sharing it with my audience Mm -hmm. so that if they can't afford your services, they can at least hear a few things that you've mentioned. Okay. Hey, do I have good white spacing? Is my, is the language that I'm using going to be easy to understand for people who English is not their primary language or their first language. Um, Just thinking of little things like that, they may not be able to pay for Aline to come in and fix those issues. But if they hear that, okay, these are things that I should be thinking about, they can then take the time and try to make their applications better so that one day they can. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's an awesome thing about the state of technology right now is that there are a lot of free resources for people. There are, you know, uh, my blog and app launch map, I haven't written a blog post in a while, but everything that's up there is pertinent still. Um, Then there are podcasts um, like yours for iOS development. There's like under the radar, there's core intuition, there's release notes there, you know, there are so many podcasts um, so many websites and so many developers just freely sharing their knowledge that um, if you have the time to sit down and listen and go through it all, you're going to end up with like way ahead of the game. You know, um, it's just a matter of figuring out where your deficiencies are and figuring out who can help you fill those holes. I think that was so well put. And before we jump into the last question, um, I have to remind everybody that the conversation isn't going to end with this last question. It's, in fact, we're going to continue talking and Aline's going to ask me all the questions that I don't know yet. And I'm always terrified of this part, but I know that she's going to like knock it out of the park. But if you want to listen to that, there's two ways that you can do it. Uh, the first one is to go to our Ko-Fi page. That is ko-fi.com slash J&J Media. J&J Media is the marketing company that I run to help creatives focus on being creative while I focus on all of their marketing needs and podcasting needs. Um, and if you sponsor one week of hosting, which is $3, you can gain access to not just the bonus feed for this podcast, but all of the podcasts that are covered under the J&J Media umbrella. 
um, podcasts like Ask a Brit, which I do with my friend Jamie, who lives in the UK. Um, Devataku, whenever we do another show, uh, the .NET Core Show, and so many others. But the other one and the new one that you can do is go to productivityintech.com slash memberships. We are bringing back the pit membership, which you get a couple of things. One, you get access to our little special uh, pit premium group, and you get priority bidding on our upcoming mastermind groups where we take four to five developers or people in tech, and we really focus on getting them productive over the course of one month. Um, so that's productivityintech.com slash memberships for that. And Alina, are you ready for the last question? As I'll ever be. Okay. The last question is, are you still drawing a kitty on it? <laughs> I have not drawn a kitty in a while. It's true. So for those that are, are not schooled up, Aline and I have had multiple conversations regarding uh, bullet journaling and the hashtag analog productivity lifestyle. And I did my best to convert Aline to the analog productivity life, but I don't know how well I did. <laughs> well, I'm not bullet journaling anymore, but I do use a paper planner. Okay, I'm I'm interested. Please, please, please go into more detail. <laughs> it's called the Full Focus Planner. Um, it's uh, the brainchild of a guy named Michael Hyatt, and it's just um, it's a quarterly system. It's not cheap. It's like $130 a year for four of these, um, but it has been really good for me in terms of. Uh, setting goals and breaking things down um, because as a person with ADHD, sometimes what happens to me, and even people without ADHD, I, I know, but what happens is I see everything and I don't know how to get started. And so the full focus planner is really good at helping me just pick the three major things that I need to get done every day. And it also has like a goal setting framework in it too. And so it has been, it's been really, really good for me. I've been inconsistent with using it, but that's one of my goals for kind of the next three to six months as I'm finally kind of getting settled into my Seattle life and this new role with App Camp for Girls and all of this stuff is to really um, get a good system established with the full focus planner as um I don't know if I would call it the backbone of that system, but definitely as a, a heavy contributor to what I'm doing. So at the time of recording this, and hopefully by the time this is released, I will have released the video for it, which I will be able to link in the show notes. Um, I just finished reading The Bullet Journal Method by Ryder Carroll, and mm -hmm. it was really, really um, helpful in me waffling back and forth between like analog and digital productivity and always seeing the new shiny because last year OmniFocus 3 came out and mm -hmm. I had always wondered about OmniFocus and everybody was preaching its goodness and I, I caved and I started using it and I just like every other time I've left my bullet journal I felt like something was missing yep. um, but I say all of that to say that in the book, one of the things that he mentioned, one of the biggest takeaways that I got from the book was consistency is key. And 
the more and more you experiment in your system, the more effective that you become with it. So I, I love that even even as you're saying, like, I don't necessarily always turn to it, but my goal is to become more consistent. I think that is something that in terms of productivity, that is the biggest help. Just just saying that I am going to do this thing, whether it's once a day, once a week, once a month, I am going to do this thing. I am going to dedicate myself to doing this thing. I'm going to set a goal and I'm going to work to achieve that goal. I think having that level of commitment to um, at least trying to be consistent is a great step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there are other ways to do it, but it's it's what seems to make the most sense for me at this time in my life, given all of the things that I have going on. I just need to get to a point where I am actively thinking about fewer things um, because I have systems in place, you know, like I don't need to think about what time do I need to set the alarm tomorrow because I'm getting up at the same time. I don't need to think about what time do I go to bed or what time do I feed the cats or, um, oh my gosh, when am I going to make time to take a shower, which I have not actually done today yet. Um, but it's like, okay, Aline, you know, you get up at like whatever, 7.30 every morning, you take your shower, you make your coffee, you sit down with your journal, you review your tasks for the day, you get started, you know. So really a lot of it is just like trying to relieve the stress of making decisions all the time uh, because that it that's getting really old with all of the things I have going on right now. I just need more. I need more to be automatic. I need more systems. And that that's... I think a great way to wrap it up too, because I think we all need more systems in life. <laughs> I know I do. I, I've, I've been struggling over the fact that I, I am, we just got a new Mac mini and I'm trying to like figure out like, okay, I'm moving things from MacBook pro to Mac mini. And this is a great opportunity to start tweaking my systems, um, which of course is always a dangerous rabbit hole. It but, is. Yeah. But thank you so much for the awesome conversation, Aline, and please tell everyone how they can get in touch with you. Yeah. Um, the easiest place I think is to follow me on Twitter or check in with me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Aline, A-L-E-E-N on there. I have an infrequently used blog. That's AlineMean.com. Uh, and of course, my business is at AppLaunchMap.com. And AppCamp for Girls is AppCamp, the number four, girls.com. I should look and see if DrawKittyOnIt.com is available. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or draw a kitty on it dot dev. I think that's the yes. new thing is everyone's getting their dot yeah. devs. They're expensive right. though. Yeah, they are. I think, I think KJ Miller dot dev isn't too bad. I think it's like 15 bucks, but I, I looked at like productivity dot dev because I was like, oh, that would be great. And then I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So we are now in, in bonus show territory. You have done this before. So. Mm. Uh, just a quick reminder, at the end of every show, I flip the host button around, and it is now you that is leading this podcast, which um, we will call it Aline's Not Mean, the podcast. <laughs> I like it. Um, so, 
From this point, I am your guest to talk as little or as much about whatever you want. But at this point, the show is yours. So I am wondering about parenthood. Can we talk about parenthood some? We can always talk about parenthood. Okay. So how old is your wee one now? She is five months and two weeks. Okay. So what has... What has gone according to your, I don't know, plan or expectations versus what hasn't over the last six months or so? So she loves Bob Marley. That is okay. that is a definite, like, according to plan. The first song <laughs> she ever heard at the hospital was No Woman, No Cry. And she didn't cry. I was, but still. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know... She has been such a great little baby that I have I have no complaints until tonight at like three in the morning when she wakes me up. Um, but I, I can't say that there hasn't been anything that's happened that I haven't expected uh, regarding her. A lot of it has been regarding me and my health uh, because I got sick last year and I'm just now in the process of getting everything resolved. So I, I guess the, the biggest thing has been trying to work around um, having my license suspended because people were afraid I might die while driving <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, all of these other crazy things that made no sense and still don't make any sense. But I guess having to, having to still be an effective parent and an effective human being while having certain limitations put on me Uh, for medical reasons. So how are, let me think, how are things evolving with those medical complications now? Like um, in terms of, are you facing limitations still that you weren't expecting and how are you, um, compensating for those or you know is it not compensation is it you know I just need to sleep 16 hours a day or or you know like how, how is that shaking out for you so the biggest I think the biggest thing that has had to happen is I have had to let go of the idea of just trying to be punctual for everything. Mm. Um, a lot of it is because I can't drive anymore. So it's it's like, well, I have to wait for this person to come pick me up or I have to wait for my lift to show up or I have to just walk somewhere. Uh, and uh, that, has, that has been complicated. It also, I think, puts, you know, a lot of unwanted strain on my wife too because she now like if we have to go to the grocery store like that's her you know she's driving everywhere you know Mm. and and it used to be kind of a shared thing and now it's you know solely her and um for me it's like I have to carpool to work and I work 30 minutes away and then I come home and it's like, okay, I'm home, and now you have to do all the driving <laughs> to, to go get things done or, or pay the mortgage. And it's like all of these little things that we take for granted now become this big evolution. And having having our daughter, you know, every time you have to put her in a car seat, like you don't think about 
how much added time that is. Or, or, or she's throwing a fit in the back of the car and you're just like, okay, we can't go in with her screaming like this. So I'm going to sit out in the car and try to calm her down a little bit or wait for her to just keep driving until she falls asleep. <laughs> you know, we have to, you, we, we always have to try to figure things out. And the fact that I'm not able to do my part makes it worse. But I mean, ultimately I've been cleared, um, at least in word, uh, I have to, I still have to meet with, uh, my cardiologist, which in itself is a nightmare because it's like, well, my cardiologist is in one direction. My office is in the other direction. And in order to go to a doctor's appointment, I have to take time off because it just takes that long mm-hmm. to get things done. So I've really been pushing this, you know, independent employee and, and like, starting my own business and trying to get all of this off the ground, mostly because of some of the limitations that it's presented, just not being able to get up and hop in a car and go somewhere. Yeah, I think um, that is, I think you're describing one of the reasons I decided to, to try app launch map is partially because chronic illness makes my sleep schedule unpredictable. It makes, um, you know, I, I have a driver's license. I don't have a car anymore, but Justin was driving most of the time before we moved to Seattle and sold our car. And one of the things that I don't think we talk about enough is the guilt that comes with going through either chronic illness or an extended acute illness where you're really reliant on a partner or other people and you don't feel like you're pulling your weight, you know, like doing the dishes um, because of chronic pain, like it, it takes me an hour to do a sink full of dishes just because I have to sit down and take breaks. I can't stand that long. And um, vacuuming, I I vacuumed and mopped our 530 square foot apartment the other day but it, it took me hours because I, I can do a section and then I have to sit down and there's there are a lot of feelings kind of tied up in that that I just don't see people talking about so when when our daughter was still in the oven um one of the things that I, I surprised my wife with was doing um, the baby room and painting the walls and, and getting all the old furniture out and moving new furniture in. And this was around the time, this was right before I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And I was moving all of this stuff. And the next day she was just like, are you okay? And I was like, uh, what do you mean? And she's like, well, your hands are swollen, your feet are swollen, your leg, like your all of your <laughs> your entire body is like super puffy, and like I couldn't make a fist, and and like I was just in the worst pain ever. But like you said, just the the inherent idea, of like I don't not necessarily want to feel weak, but I don't want to feel like I'm putting more pressure on her yep. to do more. That put a huge strain on on us, and and that's something now like she's dealing with her own medical issues and you know like when she has her issues and I have my my issues it's like okay you can't do the dishes I can do the dishes but I can't like move furniture around so if you move the furniture I'll do the dishes and then I can mop and uh the baby is screaming so one of us has to stop what we're doing and 
it it becomes kind of this this ballet of sorts of where where can we effectively create a system that works and i think that's something that just over time you get i guess good at winging but at the same time that inherent feeling especially if you know i suffer from anxiety so you know i get anxious and like i want to take my wife oh let's go to the movies well if we go to the movies i have to sit you know close to the edge so that i can see all the exits and know what's going on and i'm not really paying attention to the movie and that makes her nervous so it's like all of these things that you think about that most people don't and then through it all you're just kind of like well it's a little quirky but we make it work yeah (laughs) yeah having flexibility is so important um and kind of self-understanding too like i have days where i get really down on myself um because it's like you know oh you know this is a small apartment vacuuming and mopping it should not take you know like three hours it should be you know 20 minutes to do all that it's tiny um but that's just not my reality right now and it sucks like it sucks but you know also fortunately i have a partner who understands and works with me on things so it's it's good it's sucky but it's good yeah So, I don't know. Are you, you're still bullet journaling or are you going back to bullet journaling? So, I've been bullet journaling since well, I've been back bullet journaling since October of last year. Okay. Uh I did take I took a good like 3 or 4 months to play around with OmniFocus 3 and see if it would work for me and eh, some things were good, some things weren't. Um for the most part, bullet journaling has been kind of the constant. There are I am using Notion uh, a lot in in my businesses, uh, mostly because I'm working with other people, and it's nice to be able. Um, I had a client. We were talking about a service that I was offering, and I basically presented a little like draft like explainer for what I was going to do in Notion, and I just sent him the link, and he was like, "Oh, this is interesting," and then. He made a comment. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, we can fix that. And I just updated the the page. And he was like, oh, wow, it's like changing like before my eyes. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of the great thing about this tool. But um, at the same time, you know, when it it's it's kind of tough putting having like my world over here and then having this other world that I have to maintain. So I'm trying to figure that part out. Um, I think that's the one reason why I've been trying to like examine is a digital task management system going to be better for me just because it's, it's a pain to feel like everything on my side is under control. And then it's like, okay, now I need to transfer this to some digital place. So everyone else's world is under control too. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's, there's such a balance. I love, like I said, I love my planner. Um, I think in part because it takes me away from the digital chaos Um, and there's kind of a context switching thing that happens mentally where it's like, oh yeah, no, you're, you're sitting here in front of your paper planner that looks like a planner. It's got, you know, it's one day per page. Um, Uh well actually one day per two pages. So, um, so it's like, it's, it 
it really forces me to focus. And so I've got that context change and then I have the like the dedicated nature of it that really works well for me, I think. When again, when I'm using it consistently. You know, I think that's the one thing that keeps me from using a conventional planner is the page limitations. Like I I think today I went through like four pages and I I do write a lot in my bullet journal, so I think that is a part of it, but I also use really small notebooks. So like 70, it's like a 72 page bear and fig notebook. That's cut down to size to fit in my Midori travelers notebook. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's already smaller than the actual notebook sizes. But even with that, like I'll go through that in like two or three weeks and it, it helps because it forces me to do my reviews more often. But at the same time, like if, if I was going through a regular planner, I'd be like, okay, these, this day is full. So I guess I'm going to have to write on tomorrow. (laughs) So I actually do that quite a bit. And the nice thing about the full focus planner specifically is that I do wish it had more note pages in the back, but everything is numbered. So you can use kind of the system, like with bullet journaling where, um, and it has an index, so you can um, you can reference things and um, what is is it contexts collections collections and yeah. bullet journaling so you can kind of use it that way um, but I really use I use it more as a task manager than as um, a planning note taking system. Um, just because most of what I'm doing is so collaborative in terms of like note taking and that kind of thing that I do need to use Slack or Notion or whatever. Um, and so it works for me, I think, because of that, it, you know, but one system does not fit all for sure. Yeah. And, and I think the only reason that for me, I'm going through so many pages is because I'm doing so many things like it's it was crazy to have a full-time day job and to like say I'm going to start a business and Mm. then on top of that it was like this business isn't making money I'm going to start another business to help fund the other business Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that and it's it's weird because both take equal attention in my life and they both kind of work together but at the same time they're two very very separate uh, aspects and That makes it hard because for me, it's like, okay, I need to do this, this, and this, and then I need to go over here and do these five things. And then I need to come back over here and do all these other things once those things that aren't really connected, but kind of are, are done. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why the traditional digital task manager didn't work because it was, you know, I've, I've seen where people will say, okay, well, you know, you have a project called this and it involves this item and this item, but then it's like, well, wait a minute, these two are completely separate, but are dependent on each other. Like, oh, well then that's a tag. And it's like, but it's not though. (laughs) And that's why tools. So I know and love many people at the Omni group. Um, I, I, I don't know anyone at culture code. So, you know, but things three, um, these, these tools don't work for me because it becomes more about the tool than what I need to get done. 
it it is the tool the tool becomes your mindset instead of creating a tool that fits your existing mindset yeah and i i think that is that's something that i've noticed that whenever i because i mean i i own all of these apps for some stupid reason but it's like i need something simple oh let me look at things or i need something that is really really fast let me look at todoist todoist is great and then, oh i need something super robust let me look at omnifocus and it's like mm-hmm. i just basically keep going back and forth between the three and then at the end i'm like i give up i pull out my notebook and then i just start drawing circles and squiggly lines and the occasional kitty um and for me, it's my 25 dog. So you're like, you make a little Snoopy dog out of the number 25. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's, it's it's one of those things where like, I just get so tired of feeling like I have another job, which is maintaining my task manager. So whenever I can get rid of that, I do. And I've learned the easiest way to do that is to just stick to my bullet journal. So yeah, for the most part, I've been, I've been bullet journaling and finishing that book really, it, it put a lot of things into perspective that I would not have expected to think about reading a book on bullet journaling. Yeah, I actually, I want to read it. I, I don't see myself going back to bullet journaling, but I do think that there are a lot of things that I could pick out of there to kind of help me. So um, maybe it's something, I got it from the library when it first came out and then I didn't have time to read it. So maybe someday. Let me know. I'll just send it up to you. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I've always had this idea of doing like a book collective of just like, hey, get a bunch you of people that it. like reading books and just just pass books around. Like, hey, you have this book, I, I have that. this book. But I, I've never quite figured out how it would, one, be sustained. <laughs> yeah, organizing that would be like a full-time job. And, and postage is a nightmare on yeah. books. But at the same time, it's like one book is easy. <laughs> But like media mail, as long as you're not concerned about tracking or whatever, media mail isn't too bad. Yeah. But you do run into the issue that I did where I had um, Mike Vardy of Productivityist fame. Um, I stayed with him when we went. Last time we were in Seattle, we took a trip up to Victoria Island. And he gave me these awesome like life calendar things that he had gotten um, and... I had to send them because they were like, I mean, you have this giant tube and he's like, yeah, you might not want to take that through customs. That just looks kind of suspicious. <laughs> I'm like, it's just posters. And he's like, we'll mail it to you. And it took like two months to get it. And this yeah. was like in October. We didn't get it until December. And I was just that, like, what? <laughs> that's also from Canada though, which is really unpredictable. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Well, I don't think I have any other pressing questions right now. Well, cool. I will I will stop my recording as soon as I open up Alfred Remote. There we go.